As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hi there, welcome back. It's Justin Briley here with the show brought to you by Premier Unbelievable and dedicated to helping sceptics to explore faith and Christians to understand, defend and share their faith with confidence. That's what the C.S. Lewis Podcast aims to help you do. Well, this summer, we're bringing you some bonus content from Alistair McGrath. Last week, we heard his keynote address at Unbelievable, the conference, how to transform and not be consumed by culture. Well, this week, we'll hear the first part of a panel discussion held as part of that following his talk, speaking the authentic voice of Jesus in arts, science and global culture was the theme. And the panel also included Sharon Dirux, John Wyatt, Sky Jitani and Joseph D'Souza, all about bringing Christian faith into the spheres of art, science, education and global justice. Hope you enjoy this. And if you want all of the sessions from this year's conference, they're available to purchase as a digital download. So much great content at this year's conference. Just go to our website, premierunbelievable.com and click on training and events to get hold of it. Or there's a direct link with today's show in the notes. So do enjoy today's show. It was recorded live at the British Library in London as part of Unbelievable 2022. Let me introduce our panel, first of all. Um, to my left is Sharon Dirux. Um, Sharon is a, a speaker, author, and adjunct lecturer at OCA, the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics, also the author of Am I Just My Brain? And you will want to hang around for the final conversation that we're having this <laughs> evening here in the British Library, uh, a wonderful conversation with Dr. Ian McGilchrist on the brain, consciousness, and God. So. That's one to look out for later. Um, uh, bishop Joseph D'Souza is also with us. Joseph is a bishop and moderator of the Good Shepherd Church of India and works uh, tirelessly on behalf of Dalit rights in that part of the world. So thank you for joining us, uh, Joseph, as well. Uh, on screen joining us is Sky Jatani. He's a co-host with Phil Vischer, who we heard from earlier on the Holy Post podcast, a, a former editor with Christianity Today in the USA and, and an influential voice in the conversation on faith politics and culture. Uh, John Wyatt, also with us, uh, doctor, author and research scientist, leading authority in bioethics, science and faith. And we've just launched uh, in the last couple of months a new podcast with John and his journalist son, Tim. It's called Matters of Life and Death. And if you enjoy Unbelievable, if you enjoy the Ask Anti Write Anything podcast, you will enjoy the Matters of Life and Death podcast too. So thanks for being with us, John. And finally, I've already introduced Alistair McGrath, who's also sitting in on the panel. Um, so why don't we just give another round of applause to our panellists. <laughs> so um, I look forward to, to the questions coming in. Um, let's start just with some responses to what Alistair had to say though. And I've selected all 
all of you to come on this panel, partly because you all represent different spheres, I would say, of technology, medicine, science, education, uh, global justice, and so on. I'll, I'll go in order. Um, Sharon, how do you, as someone who obviously works in apologetics but has a background in science, neuroscience, and so on, how do you take what Alistair said about us being salt and light in those places and apply it in, in your field, if you like, your, your sphere of influence? Yeah, well, I love the, the realism with which Alistair speaks and um, just acknowledging that this is not always easy, that we all, often don't feel um, equipped or adequate to, to speak in, in these areas, but that there are things that we can do. And I loved that um, kind of... Uh, the the verse about having treasure in jars of clay and how that is very precious and powerful in people's lives and finding ways to communicate that is very important. Uh, obviously, in the science kind of world, that there are you know different ways forward, and I think a really key part that kind of flows out of what Alistair was saying is who you are in that setting is is vital, and there's a sense in which we transform culture one person at a time, both as a PhD student in a laboratory, who you are in that setting. I remember um, I was actually a young Christian um, when I was a PhD student, but occasionally we would have two-hour lunch breaks with various colleagues talking about um, life and the universe, and those were wonderful times. And um, I also, um, you know, moving further on into my scientific career, remember having kind of this incredible, when I did a postdoc at the Medical College of Wisconsin, had extraordinary opportunities to actually um, have more overt question, um, conversations of faith with my colleagues. And I think, so I think who you are in that setting and if you are, um, you know, given a position of responsibility, then actually who you are with that responsibility makes a big difference. Things like intellectual honesty and integrity um, and fair treatment of PhD students and, you know, the number of people that I know that have struggled with their supervisor, you know, but we can be a different kind of PhD supervisor. Mm, wow. Um, and so I think um, there's that, that personal aspect. And then, of course, there's the um, encouraging Christians to um, directly speak into this topic. And I can speak to that now yeah. if you'd like, well, or we can come back well, to Well, let's keep going around for the moment, but I'd, I'd love to come back to you for that. Um, Joseph, welcome. And tell us a little bit about your role. People may not be that familiar with it. And, and how what you do in terms of global justice, particularly in, in India, um, connects with this idea of you know, being placed by God into this world to, to make a difference. Yeah, thank you. And Alistair, thank you for that talk. Really appreciated that. Uh, you captured, um, I think, what those of us who live in the global south uh, are trying to address. And this phrase that you used uh, from Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Sultan, that I just remembered. Um, and right now, India is facing bad persecution of the Christian faith. It's been horrible. And uh, it's one thing to be salt and light when everything is going okay. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to be salt and light in tribulations. I wrote a booklet for the New Wine uh, people uh, two years ago, Salt and Light in Term, in the Times of Tribulation and Uncertainty. Uh, with me, 
uh, and there's a lot to say, 25 years ago, uh, God changed my world. I was so much part of the evangelical Christianity, church, etc., etc., that really uh, lived outside of culture. Mm. Uh, you know, and we were we are within India and within the world, within the Muslim, but we were outside of culture. And as we deal with that, uh, now I, I see it's not going to work with me being outside of culture. It's not going to work. Unfortunately, a kind of Christianity was exported all over the world uh, with a good motive, with right evangelical emphasis, but left a lot of people in the global south out of their own cult cultures. Mm. And so 25 years ago, as I said, uh, God brought me face to face that with the first fact that we have worse than the racism that the world is talking about. A casteism mm. that's been going on for 2,000 years and the world doesn't know about it and it's hidden now after the uh, killing of Floyd and now everywhere it's so our voice has become all the much bigger, especially in America, this black lady, uh, Wilkinson Isabel, wrote the book Cast. And she now says, racism is just the external aspect of it. Caste is the root. Mm -hmm. Now, this has been going for 2,000 years, and the church has not addressed it mm -hmm. in India or around the world. Wilberforce spoke about it here in the parliament 200 years ago and said there is a disease far worse than racism going on in the world and the truth of Christianity is the answer. Mm. But it was not addressed. So through a series of events, God pushed us, pushed me, and from doing professional, and I say this very graciously, okay, professional uh, uh, evangelism. I believe in evangelism, so don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, I realized if I don't go and connect to these millions, they're never going to see Jesus. Mm. They're never going to understand Jesus. Yeah. And so this whole thing of becoming salt and light became important, and the whole work changed and all, and it's an ongoing story. And now from the oppressed within India, we are now among the oppressed in the Islamic world. Mm. So this, beloved, however you see it, getting, and, and I, I like what Alistair said, it's not going to be done by professionals. Uh, it's going to be done by our sister and you, and you uh, don't get out of culture, be in culture, and then figure out what are the issues I should address. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Sky, we'll come to you uh, next on our screen. Um, I've, I've thought of you really as someone who's obviously part of the evangelical church culture, but often a critic from within it as well in the US, but also someone familiar with the media especially. Uh, you've been a, an editor yourself of uh, publications. And um, what, how do you connect what Alistair had to say about you know, the need to be representing Christ in those spheres to, to what you've been able to do and, and what you see happening? Well, thank you first for letting me be a part of this panel, even though I'm on this side of the pond. I'm grateful for that. And thank you, Alistair, for that inspiration and encouragement around uh, engaging the culture well. Um, two things stood out to me about your talk as it relate, 
the my role in media. And first, especially being an American, uh, the first is you're called to begin with ourselves and recognize that the primary challenge we have here is not against the culture, it's within the church, that we ourselves need to take up this responsibility to be a witness and to equip ourselves in winsome, uh, gentle, loving, but persuasive ways. And I think that's where uh, Christian media, at least, in the United States, uh, I don't want to be too critical, but I think it's departed a little bit from that because the culture wars have become so strong here that it's so much easier to attract an audience, even a Christian audience, by putting all the focus on what the culture's doing badly or how the culture's out to get us. And it's less about discipleship and equipping ourselves. The second thing that stood out to me is you didn't spend a lot of time on this, but you did reference how there are wonderful resources out there. And you mentioned different scholars. I interviewed just a few days ago, Mark Knoll, who's a renowned historian. He used to be at Wheaton College. Now he's at Notre Dame. 30 years ago, he wrote the book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. And so I followed up with him about what's changed in 30 years. And one of the really positive developments, he said, is that we have more Christian scholars in the academic world of a caliber that he didn't anticipate 30 years ago. They're either Christian or evangelical or they're adjacent to that or friendly to that worldview. And so we have this incredible resource of brilliant, thoughtful men and women who are integrating, like you said, all of these different disciplines with the point of view of the gospel. What's discouraging about what Mark Knowles said is even though we've had this somewhat renaissance of, of Christian thought in the academy, at least in the United States, we have a popular evangelical church that's never been more reluctant to engage those thinkers because there's such a populism and an anti-intellectualism in the American church right now that we're not using these amazing resources that the Holy Spirit has given us to engage the world. And that's where I think Christian media can be the bridge. Uh, Premier is doing this brilliantly in the UK and uh, Unbelievable is kind of the flagship of bringing those voices to the Christian audience. We're trying to do that with our podcasts and, and other resources, but we need more of those media bridges between the intellectual gifts that God has given the church and the people who need to engage them. Mm, thank you so much, that was, that was really helpful. And for the plug for Unbelievable, of course. <laughs> <laughs> John, uh, your podcast is, is a recent one that's joined our, our lineup of shows, Matters of Life and Death. It's all about the area that you've been working in, studying for a long time, bioethics, beginning and end of life issues. Uh, you've written a book as well on robotics in the future. Um, how, how, how do you see Jesus being brought into those kinds of areas, which very often people have no idea that there's any kind of theological or Christian influence going on in biotechnology and so on. Yeah, thanks. I, I love this, uh, again, emphasis from Alistair about loving God with our heart, with our soul, with our mind and with our strength. It's that holistic thing, which is I discovered as a, as a young medical student, um, this idea that, that God wasn't just interested in the spiritual bit of me and my spiritual and my religious side, but actually everything. And uh, I've always been fascinated by science, technology, medicine. I spent many years working as a, as a baby doctor in a big intensive care unit in central London and, um, and also as an academic. And um, I, I was, was very exercised by the, I had to be the same person that I was on the Sunday evening worship service when we were all praising God together and so on, and then on the Monday morning hitting the ward round 
uh, in this very secular university. I was at UCL, which was historically the first explicitly atheistic university set up in the UK. And, and, and yet I was being paid to, to teach medical students on ethics and to, um, and to work there as, as a doctor. So I, it was a, a really exciting challenge. I, I discovered, I went into, I became a baby doctor because I loved children and it, and it was a very exciting and developing area of medicine. It's only really when I got in there, I realized there were huge ethical challenges. I was in the midst of a whole ethical maelstrom about advances in technology and when do you say enough is enough, when do we switch off the life support machinery, uh, what about new advances, abilities to intervene in babies' brains and, and, and so on. So um, I've now retired from the medical front line but very fascinated and engaged in the ethical challenges that are coming. I'm very excited. It's what a wonderful time to be alive um, and, and what are the amazing opportunities we have. God is putting many Christians in the fields of healthcare, in the fields of science and technology. There are a huge number of Christians actually working in the technology mm. industries. And, uh, and the question is, are we going to be these people? Are we going to be salt and light in the places where God has put us? Uh, in the, this exciting the, world. The danger always is that people assume that, well, to, to be having an influence in Christian terms, you have to be a church leader. You have to be on a stage like this. Actually, no. We want people, obviously, wherever God is putting them, to be the Jesus in that place. I mean, coming to you, Alistair, thank you, John, for, for, for your perspective on the bioethical field. Um, we're here in the British Library now. If we were to walk out across the courtyard, uh, we would walk into a building full of treasures from the last 2,000 years, literary, art, that have been influenced and shaped by the Christian story. Um, you're a great fan, obviously, of C.S. Lewis and the way he brought his Christianity into the art, the literature that he produced. Is that still happening today? Um, are we seeing that kind of transformative part of Christianity, or has it gone the way that sort of Sky has sort of said, that we've essentially conformed to the culture somewhat, so that actually we start to look and sound rather like that and do knock-off editions of, you know, whatever the latest trend is, rather than sort of leading it when it comes to arts and imagination and so on. Well, I, I resonate very much with what Sky was saying. I think it's, it's a real issue. And I think, you know, thinking about the, what you've just described, I mean, what we need to say is Christians need to be in there. We need to write novels, which are real novels, but which actually articulate what a Christian vision is. And I, I couldn't do that, but I'm hoping somebody could. You know, it's one, and I think one of the things we need to do is, in effect, set a vision, uh, recognising that maybe the guys who are saying, let's do this, can't do it themselves, but there are people out there who say, I could do that. And so in many ways, it's about a rediscovery of the idea of vocation, you know, being called not simply to be a Christian, but to do something that maybe nobody else could do. It could be to, in effect, produce that work of art, which would shape our culture. It could be to write that novel, and we've gone around the group, and there are many other things we could add to that. But I think one of the things we need to do is almost claim that idea of vocation, not simply as, for example, the vocation of a clergy person, though I want to emphasize that's very important, but the vocation of every every Christian to discover what God's gifts for them are, what needs to be done out there, and how these map up to each other. Because I think that many people feel that it's almost unchristian to say, I might be able to do this, because that's arrogant. Mm. Well, no, it's not. It's saying, if I can do this, it's by God's grace, and it needs to be done. So I think, I'm, I, think I could do it, but I, God, will you please help me if mm. this is right? 
And I think that we need to have that sense of getting people to think outside a rather narrow envelope and say, look, this needs to be done. Maybe it's me, maybe it's not, but the only way I'm going to find out is by trying. Mm, excellent. Um, I, I'm quite happy to, to, to start bringing some questions in at this point, in all honesty, and I think we'll, it'll naturally spark a lot of the conversations that, that we want to have as we go. Um, and, and just a reminder, if, uh, if you've got a question, do keep it sweet and short, and, uh, and we'll take them from the, the audience as we go. Um, let's have some hands for anyone who wants to ask a question uh, here, and I can see a, a lady down at the front. So we'll get the microphone to you over here on the left, but when, while that's coming to you, I'm going to ask a question from our Zoom attendees. Um, I think this one is really for you uh, in many ways, um, Bishop Joseph. Uh, Samantha says, I'm a fourth grade teacher in Texas, and there are many Indian families in my school who are deeply involved in Hinduism, committed to it. How can I balance my professional responsibilities to those students while upholding my Christian beliefs and values? So it's, it's obviously a different context to the one you're ministering in. Um, but obviously someone who's feeling that tug between the different worldviews in their sphere and how do, they, how do they balance that with their own Christian perspective. Is it Samantha? It's Samantha, yes. Samantha, it's great that you are a, t a teacher and as uh, the a word that we've been using, uh, that's your vocation from God uh, to be salt and light there in that school. Uh, I just wanted, before I answered uh, her question, I just wanted to comment on what Alistair said. I think it's very important that we rediscover, re-emphasize, and teach, and capture that the kingdom of God is about, is about all of life, and we have to unleash our young, old, into whatever vocation God has given them, and occasion in terms of doing clergy work, so I'm saying this as a clergy, is not necessarily the highest. So uh, every vocation and gifting that God has given us is hugely important, and how I wish there were a thousand novelists around the world <laughs> who were writing as novels, not this Christian stuff that's being sent, sent out as, but with Samantha, this, uh, this problem of uh, living with Hindus is there in America, here, etc. cetera. Uh, as, uh, as one who deals and, and lives in a Hindu culture, uh, to go, get into a conversation with Hindus uh, straight off at the level of uh, evangelize, I want to evangelize, is not the way to do it. We have done it, it's not worked, and now we are being attacked all over the case that the only agenda Christians have is to proselytize, to convert, blah, blah, blah. What we have to understand is when we are dealing with Hindus, you are dealing with a 10,000-year-old culture. So we're dis discussing this in terms of culture. Uh, and so when you're discussing, with, if you want to do something, Entering into their life, building your connection with them is the m most important thing you can do. And then you have the life of Christ in you. Instead of focusing on what I call a verbal declaration of Jesus into the life of those students and their families, bring about 
the salt and light declaration of your life to the students. Both of these metaphors, salt and light, the Western world has often interpreted light as uh, knowledge or information. But you see, the African theologian says, light is always seen, not heard. Very important, light is seen. Salt is always tasted. And that was what Jesus was emphasizing. So Samantha, let them see that you have something that they are craving for. They are craving. The Indian world is very deeply spiritual and craving, and we have to find how we reach out to them. Mm, thank you, so helpful. Um, there's uh, someone down here in the audience who'd like to ask a question, go ahead. I'll see you a second. How can we be salt and light when we feel angry, disillusioned and upset with life or just under the cosh of emotions that we can't control? Okay, yeah. If, if, if our own temperament or our, our kind of senses disillusioned, upset, perhaps life hasn't dealt us a great hand of cards, how do we, how do we be salt and light in, in that situation? Um, I'll come to you first, Sky, uh, and, and then we'll see what any, anyone else has to say. I, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't think it's necessarily a problem that we experience anger, disillusionment, disappointment. I think it's how we experience those things. Uh, there is a righteous way to experience them. There is an honest and authentic way. I think part of what's gotten us in trouble, frankly, is that we haven't been real honest about our struggles and we haven't been transparent about what does it mean to engage those struggles with faith and with Christ alongside us. Uh, there's that wonderful story of John the Baptist being locked away in Herod's prison and he, he sends his friends to Jesus and says, are you really the one? And he does that because his circumstances are dark and miserable and depressing and dreary. It's not the outcome he had expected for his life or for his people. And he was questioning Jesus, he had doubts. And it's interesting, despite all of his uh, spiritual pedigree, I mean, if you recall John the Baptist, his birth was a miracle. Uh, he acknowledges the presence of Jesus before he's even born. He's the first one to acknowledge him as the, the Lamb of God who will take us into the world. He hears the voice of God the Father at Jesus' baptism, declare this is my beloved son. I mean, he had been given every spiritual advantage you could have, and yet he still doubted and he still struggled. He was susceptible to those same human emotions that, that the questioner uh, mentioned. And yet when that question came to Jesus, Jesus meets it with, with compassion and understanding. He doesn't rebuke John going, you know, you should know better, John. You've been given the Holy Spirit. You've seen all these things. No, he understood that in his circumstances, John was struggling. And he has a very compassionate response and says to John's friends, go back and tell him what you've seen. In other words, be the eyes for John that he can see through. He can't see these positive things from where he is, so you need to be his eyes for him. That's what Christian community is for. So two things. Number one, let's be honest and authentic and real. Let's not pretend that we are always uh, happy, clappy, shiny Jesus people. We have depression and struggles and disappointments and disillusionment. But then the other critical piece of this is community. We have to not just individually be witnesses of the gospel, but collectively. Because at any given moment, within a collection of Christian believers, there are going to be some of us who are in that dark valley, 
And there are others who are going to be on the mountaintop. And we need to borrow one another's eyes to get that clearer vision of the kingdom, that clearer vision of what's really happening in the world that we can't see at this moment. And when the world looks at us, a neighbor, a friend who's questioning faith, and you, and you can honestly say, you know what, I am struggling myself right now. I am having a hard time seeing the glory of God in this dark world or given the, the circumstances of my life. But part of God's grace to me is his people and his community. Let me introduce you to those who are helping me see God more clearly when I'm at a moment when I can't either. That level of authenticity and communal witness, I think, will be far more powerful for the culture than individual Christians having to pretend they have it all together all the time because they, in some weird way, don't want to admit the truth about the struggles of life, which is exactly what you see throughout the scriptures, the gospels, the psalms, all of that is brutal authenticity about the struggles of the life of faith. And we've, we've gotten away from that, I think partly because we're so enamored with advertising and marketing, which is always presenting a one-dimensional view of things. The church should be the most human witness and institution on the planet and the most authentic. But uh, we have to get back to those values if we're gonna be effective in our witness. Mm, thank yeah. you very much, that's really helpful. Um, yeah, please do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can hear the rest of this panel discussion with Alistair McGrath and guests and the questions they received from the studio audience on next week's show. Thank you for being with us. Again, if you'd like to get all of the sessions from this year's Unbelievable Conference, and this is really just a taster that we're bringing you on the podcast today, then do go to our website. That's premierunbelievable.com and click on training and events or just simply click the link through to the purchase option with today's show. For now, thanks for being with us. God bless. And see you next time. Mm-hmm.